you. And um, it is my, am I on? Hello? I might have plugged it in wrong. There we go. Great. <laughs> well, as I was saying, it is my great pleasure also to be speaking um, this morning. What a privilege to be um, sharing about the resurrection and talking for a second about um, Jesus being risen from the dead um, with you all this morning. And what a joy to celebrate in Emily's baptism as well. Um, and uh, to be honest, this morning, whether you are in celebration mode, full-blown, you've already eaten an Easter egg and you're just full of the joy of the Lord, or whether actually it was a bit of a struggle to even get through the door today, or whether you are looking in and just sort of wondering what this is all about, um, it's a joy to have you here. And I hope that there is something in this story for you this morning. I believe there will be. I want to start quite simply and unashamedly by celebrating that Jesus is risen. He who was dead but behold, is alive forevermore. Today we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the grave. This is the event around which all history orbits. Everything has been leading up to this moment. We see that actually throughout this whole Bible, that everything is eagerly waiting for this day. It's actually promised in the the first pages of the Bible that a descendant of Eve would crush the head of the enemy. And then many, many hundreds of years later, when Jesus is born, every moment of his life is leading up to the time that he would fulfill that promise. Everything pointing towards his victorious death. In the manger, bit of a Christmas throwback for us here, (laughs) he's brought myrrh, which is a burial spice, a gift for one who was born to lay down his life. In his own baptism, yeah, Jesus like, got baptised at the very beginning of his ministry. Jesus was saying, this is what I came to do, to be buried and to be raised to new life again. In each of these events, there is a whisper of the end right here at the beginning. Every sickness that Jesus healed, every miracle that he performed, every person set free was a sign pointing to this, the event that would purchase our freedom from the ultimate sickness, death. Every time Jesus said, get up and walk, he was foretelling the time that he himself would get up and walk right out of death. To a grieving sister moments before her brother is raised from the dead, Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. This was the reason that the Son of God left heaven, emptying himself of his glory, becoming a man who was called the servant of all. He went willingly to the cross, not reluctantly, and he said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. See, Jesus didn't fall in and out of love. He walked with open eyes directly to that hill of Calvary, never wavering from the task that he came to do. And on the cross, As the enemy smirked, Jesus was preparing to crush his head. And on the cross, he defeated shame and death by dying a shameful death, using Satan's own weapons against him. What looked to all like the moment of greatest defeat was his moment of greatest victory. For three days, Jesus' body lay in a tomb, but the silence of God did not mean that God had been silenced. For on the third day, just as he promised, Jesus was raised to life by the glorious power of the Father. And now know that Jesus Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. For death no longer has dominion over him. Christ who died more than that who was raised 
is at the right hand of God, where he will live forever and reign in victory, inheriting all power and authority, still the lamb slain from eternity to eternity, his throne never to be challenged. This is what we've been singing about today. This is why Emily got baptized. And this is why we come to church. It's the crowning moment of all eternity and the event that defines our lives. Now, knowing what I've just said about the resurrection, that sort of whistle-stop tour, I would say that the people whose job it is to write down the first account of when Jesus was raised from the dead have a pretty big task, right? In a second, we're going to look at a historical account in the Bible of the resurrection of Jesus, who's written by a writer called Matthew. Now, just how is Matthew going to capture the grandeur the enormity, the scale of the events we've just heard about. I imagine that Matthew thought long and hard about how he should tell the story. Maybe he sat down and he thought, well, there's an earthquake when Jesus was raised from the dead. Maybe I could really go big on that, like describe the earthquake. Maybe I could interview Jesus. Well, this would have to be in the 40 days. But um, after, and, and like get the story from his point of view. Surely that would capture the epic scale of the events. Well, actually, we're going to see that Matthew chooses to tell the story in a completely unexpected way. This morning, Matthew is going to introduce us to two women. One is called Mary, and the other, well, actually, is also called Mary. Um, Matthew calls them Mary Magdalene and the other Mary. I don't know how I would feel about being immortalised for millennia in in God's holy word by being called the other Mary. (laughs) But we're going to assume that she was more humble than me. (laughs) We meet Mary and Mary in the darkness of the second night after Jesus was crucified. They are disciples of Jesus who had stayed close to him as he died. And perhaps we can imagine a snippet of the grief that they were carrying. For Mary and Mary, the impossible had happened. The unthinkable had happened. Their Jesus had died. Their friend, their teacher, gone. Taking with him the hope that had entered their lives when they met him. With Jesus, it would have felt like their lives were just starting, but now the carpet's been pulled out from under them. How could he be gone? Mary and Mary are making a journey through the dark to where they know Jesus was buried, for they have nowhere else to go. So we start our story in in Matthew 28 today, um, and this is verse 1, Matthew 28. Now, after the Sabbath, toward the dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. Now, we know what's about to happen Most of Matthew's readers would have known what was about to happen, unless they'd been like, you know that one friend who's like always trying to avoid a spoiler, who goes like off the grid (laughs) for like a week, and then small talk's always somehow a threat to (laughs) to them. But um, most people would know where this story was headed. But still, Matthew brings us into this moment for these women, for Mary and Mary. And he invites us to walk with them in their doubt to dwell a moment in their pain. Because as we will soon see, that's exactly where resurrection happens. As we join the Marys in their journey to the tomb in the early hours of Easter Sunday, 
we realise that Easter begins in the dark. But did you notice those three hopeful words in the verse that I just read? Towards the dawn. Dawn is coming. The sun is going to rise. As a quote I saw this week says, Holy Saturday hangs everything on God's promise that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. So here's what happens next in the story as the dawn comes. This is from verse two to seven. And behold, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He's not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So, okay, we do have the, the earthquake and the angel and the guards so terrified they're like, dead men. But Matthew's actual focus here is on the women. The angel seems to pay actually no attention to the guards that <laughs> flopped at their feet. And instead, the angel turns to Mary and Mary to tell them he's not here, for he has risen, as he said. And in so doing, he invites these two ordinary women to become the first witnesses of the resurrection. Let's zoom out for a second and remember again, this is um, God who had died and come back again. And of all the ways to tell this story, this is the one Matthew has chosen. So here's my question. Why? Why this way? Why these women? I think that one of the reasons that the story is told this way from the perspective of these women is to show us that their story is our story too. And that if he can come to them then, then he can come to us now. This story is written for anyone who knows the pain of Easter Saturday. Anyone who has walked through the night waiting for a dawn to come. Anyone who has heard the promise of Jesus, but just can't shake the doubt that somehow he has abandoned them. Many seasons of my life have felt a bit like Easter Saturday, straining my eyes for the light, holding on to Jesus's words when I can't see his face. Even this year with my mental health, there have been times I've had to hold on to hope that Jesus is coming to make all things new. Matthew didn't have to bring us into the obscure, quiet grief of these women but he waits in the questioning of Mary and Mary to show us this is exactly how Jesus comes. This is where and how he comes to us. In our doubt, in our questions, stumbling through the dark of the not yet dawn. See, the risen Jesus doesn't sit and wait for us to overcome our doubts, to strive and make it to him, muster up the faith needed to turn to him. He comes to us. This is the whole story of Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus saw us trapped in the clutches of sin and death, 
like sheep without a shepherd, and he came to us. On my drive to work recently, um, I have a lot of time to think on my drive to work because I have 12 sets of traffic lights, which really just tells I should just walk to work. But anyway, um, and this, this one advert, this Easter advert I've seen on my drive to work recently on this billboard, that's really stuck with me. It's really made me think. Um, it's just really a normal Tesco advert, and it says, Easter, it's yours for the making. Now, I know this is just a sentiment about trying a new recipe and spending money at Tesco. Um, and perhaps I really do have too much time on my hands. But every time I see it, I'm struck with the irony of that sentence, of that little marketing campaign. Easter is not ours for the making. It had to be him. Start to finish, from Mary's womb to Joseph's tomb, Easter was entirely Jesus's for the making. We had nothing to do with it. Hallelujah. All we brought to the situation was our sin. Praise the Lord that he has done it all. He has drunk that cup dry. There is nothing left for us to do but receive his grace. And there's nothing left for Mary and Mary to do but receive his grace as he comes to them. Now, you might be thinking, we actually haven't seen Jesus in this story yet. You're like, going to get to Jesus? Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> and Matthew is too. Um, so um, this is the moment we meet the risen Jesus in this story, and we see how he comes to find his friends. So, this is Mary and Mary, they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Jesus is risen and everything is changed. For them in that moment, everything is changed. In one simple greeting, Jesus turns what was a graveyard into a garden, a place of new life. And having to come and find Mary and Mary in their fear, he doesn't leave them there. He now lifts them out into resurrection life. We've uh, seen this today, actually. We've heard about this as with Emily's baptism. When Emily said yes to Jesus' invitation to follow him, she didn't just sort of ascribe to a set of beliefs and say, yeah, I believe that. She was buried and resurrected along with him. And it's the same for each of us who say yes to following Jesus today. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. His life became Mary and Mary's life. His life becomes our life because he is raised and we are raised with him. Do you want to worship? <laughs> we're going to invite the band up um, now. And um, we're going to do exactly as Mary and Mary did when they saw Jesus. They fell at his feet and they worshipped him. And um, we're going to celebrate the one who has turned our ashes into beauty, who has turned our mourning into dancing. <laughs>